There's one simple rule to live by. Live in the now, because there's no time like the present. On this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science. And it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Pleased that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world or however you may be listening. We are excited to be there with you. We're also excited about Live Happy magazine. It is coming out very, very, very soon, if it hasn't already by the time you get around to listening to this. And it has some great stuff in there. Oh my goodness. You can pick it up at newsstands. You can subscribe to the print edition. You can also get the digital edition and that's what I'm all about. You can take it anywhere you want. You can get it on your Android device. You can get it on your iPhone. You can get it on your uh, iPad. All you got to do is go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, get it, and you will get not only everything that's in the magazine, but all kinds of special features as well. So check it out today. Our guest on this episode is Jack Cornfield, one of the best known, most respected meditation teachers in the world. He's a psychologist and founder of two of the largest Buddhist centers and communities in America. And is one of the key teachers who introduced mindfulness to the West. Our Live Happy Science editor, Paula Phelps, talked with Jack about the importance of meditation in his new book, No Time Like the Present. Well, Jack, it's really an honor to have you on our podcast. You know, a lot of our listeners, like myself, have have followed your books and, and what you've had to teach us through the years. And this new book is so timely and important. And I was curious, and as I was looking at your information, like, how did you know that it was time for No Time Like the Present to be published? It feels like the culmination of a lot of years of work. It's the 15th book I've done, and I felt like this was a time to talk about finding freedom where you are. Um, that it, In a way, it summarizes many of the things that we're looking for in our life, how to be where we are more fully attend to our children, to attend to the people we love, to attend to the work and creativity, but to do it with a free heart and a, and a vast, wide-open spirit. Um, and more than ever in this busy time, people are looking for ways to live more fully um, while they still have complex lives. And more fully, I don't mean to pack more in, but I mean actually to come back to themselves and to the to the present moment, which is there, the place that has the life and the sparkle and where you see things and where you can love. It, it seems almost like a dichotomy where we're saying we're going to make our lives more simple, yet they become more full in doing so. And it really is a challenge to um, fill our lives and yet make them more simple. And what is the best way to, to begin doing that? Well, just to, to talk about simple but more full, um, we can go out and have a meal and be so busy looking at our cell phone and talking about other things and so forth 
that we don't taste a meal. Or mm-hmm. we can be with our kids and it's a short period of time. We're trying to get them ready for bed. And there's some way in which we didn't hold and tend them. So we missed something very special. Um, so simple really is the invitation to let ourselves be more fully present where we are, which doesn't mean we can't dream and imagine and plan and all of those kinds of things. We, of course we do. Um, we spend so much time um, lost in thought, really, or lost in our worry or reflecting on the past. Um, one Zen master in San Francisco, and it's a story I tell in No Time Like the Present, um, Suzuki Roshi, who's famous for writing Zen My Beginner's Mind, um, Being Where You Are, he had a young Zen teacher come from Japan who didn't speak good English. And he said, you can teach even if you only speak five words. Let me show you how. And he sat in front of the students who were gathered, bowed to them, and he said, today is today. Today is not yesterday. Today is not tomorrow. Today is today. And then he bowed and he got up and he said, see, five words. And what he was doing was saying that this day is unrepeatable, that there's something mysterious and never to be done again. And if we can take a breath periodically, take a kind of mindful pause and say, here I am. Here I am entering my workplace. Here I am fixing my children's lunch. Here I am planning the, the uh, agenda for a meeting. Let me feel my body and presence here. Let me notice what's happening out the window. Let me take a little bit of a walk if I can. Let me actually live this. And we know, you know, if, if, um, if you get a call from a doctor and they say, you know, your tests are really bad. It looks like you have this serious illness and you don't have much longer. It's both alarming, but also you start to pay attention. What would I lose? Um, how, can, how will I deal with this? Um, and then you get a call back a few days later, I'm sorry we misread your test. Um, it was all wrong. and You're actually fine. And you go, oh, I'm so joyful. I'm so relieved. I just want to go out and, you know, thank, kiss the trees and the sky and thank everyone for still being alive. That feeling of still being alive is something that we can tune into and turn to and invite when we take a pause, when we look around, when we become mindful, which I think of as a loving awareness, when we bring a loving awareness to where we are. That's a wonderful way to, to that's a, a great picture that you paint for that. And I know mindfulness has become such a, a popular topic and at the same time, it seems our world is increasingly busy. So how do people begin to balance that out? We have more and more things being thrown at us. There's that, you know, the fear of missing out. There's all these things on the one side. And then our rising awareness of the need for mindfulness. How do we start balancing those two juxtapositions? So one thing to say is, the real missing out is when we're not present. You know, our culture mm-hmm. wants us to get more and go more places and do more and buy more and eat more and, you know, more, 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 because we live in a society that's 
a consumer society, and in some ways it's even an addicted society. Keep yourself busy. Keep yourself busy with your fixes, whatever. Don't pay attention to the other stuff. Um, so uh, there's a different kind of fulfillment that we know. We know it in our hearts. We know it when we take, you know, 10 minutes to pause and walk outside and look at the cottonwood trees if you're there in Dallas or, you know, to the pine trees if you're in New England or wherever it happens to be. And you go, wow, this is magical, and I'm alive in the middle of it. Um, what helps is to understand that we're really not going anywhere. Where we're going is to be where we are. This is what's given to us. And so it's not about getting more and doing more. It's actually being present more. And the ways that help are to learn how to quiet yourself in whatever way you can through mindfulness meditation practice. I like to call it loving awareness. Mm-hmm. Your I love body. that term. Tend your body, tend your heart. Um, the ways to do it are to take mindful or loving awareness pauses during the day, even for one minute. One minute you can reset your compass. You can be all lost and frazzled and so forth, and you take three or four breaths, and you just settle for a moment where you are. You feel your feet on the ground or yourself sitting there or wherever you happen to be, Take those breaths. Let things soften. Listen. Listen to your body and your heart. Now, what is it? Where am I? Oh, here I am. And then in with the pause, there's one more wonderful thing that you can do, which is to ask yourself before you do your next act, especially if you're in difficulty, what is my best intention for this day or this meeting or even in a conflict? What is my best intention? And in that simple pause of one minute, your heart will answer and often will say, I want to connect or I want to do this well or I love this person and I want it to work out even if it's a conflict. And you begin to trust that as you get present more, in that trust there's a spaciousness and a quality of presence that makes everything actually go better. And, and it also kind of expands our sense of time, doesn't it? Like when you slow yourself down and slow and, and calm your mind, don't you have a better perception, of a feeling of not being pressured for time, a feeling of having more time? You do indeed, and it's an odd thing that when <laughs> people, um, you know, are worried or pressured or something, they hurry more as if that will help. When what's asked is... Um, to stand still, you know, and and let the let the mind quiet just a little bit, let the heart soften, let the body become really present, let the intuition open, and then you realize here I am, and from that all kinds of possibilities open. Um, and even in the midst of difficulty, maybe especially in the midst of difficulty, to learn a mindful pause, and then to learn how to ask yourself, what's my best intention when you're in conflict or difficulty before you respond to that text that upset you or before you set, press send on the email or, or even in conversation with someone that you care about or someone at work and you're all heated and you take a breath. You just settle yourself 
make some space, as you say. So you step out of the, the whirlwind of time and have to get this done. It's all to take a breath. And then you ask your heart, what's my best intention? Oh, I really do want to communicate. I want to work this out. And the whole tone of voice with which you speak changes. Your gaze changes, and it goes in an entirely different direction. That's really beautiful. That's that can. I'm thinking of just conflicts that happen throughout the day, and that could change everything because then it changes the way that person responds, so it changes their response to the next person. It has such a great domino effect. Exactly, Paula, exactly. It strikes me because right now things around us feel very uncertain and chaotic. Yes. So how can this technique, it, it seems very overwhelming to a lot of us right now, and we think, well, I can't change what's going on on a large scale. How can this practice, one, I guess, give us peace, and two, how does it affect widespread change? So let's take those things a step at a time. One of the things that's really helpful is to understand that our, our spiritual task, if you will, is not so much to perfect ourselves. Okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I'll do a diet and I'll get therapy and I'll do yoga, you know, and I'll jog and I'll, you know, all these things. And, and it does help, you know, you eat better and you get some therapy or you get some whatever it is, counseling, and those kind of things help. But the game isn't really to perfect yourself because it, there's no end to it and doesn't really work. It helps a little bit. The game is to perfect your love. And so when you start to look through that wiser and wiser, wider lens of the heart, you say, really what matters is, can I love well? And in doing that, then you're able to embrace both the beautiful things, and you really want to tune to them and celebrate them and let them come in and taste them and share them with others and whatever your joy is, but also the difficult ones. Um, you can embrace imperfection. But so many people go around with a lot of quiet self-judgment and self-hatred and anger of others and anger at their self. And, you know, I like the uh, instructions from Julia Childs, the um, great, you know, French cook, where she says, yeah. if you're in the kitchen and you're cooking and you drop the lamb, you can just pick it up. Who's going to know? <laughs> and it's really an instruction for life because we all fall down or we mess up or the people around us aren't perfect, at least the ones around me um, from my, you know, imagined fantasy. Um, and you see that, and then instead of getting tangled and trying to make it the right way and your idea of perfection, with compassion, you say, this is our human life. This is our human life and you hold it with love and with tenderness, that's the first step. And then, then you're at ease. And you, you know, you're able to actually be with yourself without struggling about who you are. With others, the, the uh, novelist Florida Scott Maxwell, she wrote, no matter how old a mother is, she looks to her middle-aged children for signs of improvement. You know, and there's there's something built in that we get from the society and parents have to get better and better and better, or those people, my children or my parents, or somebody has to. But when you rest in um, the joy of presence um, and the embrace of imperfection, the wisdom of imperfection, 
And you see, this is human incarnation. This is what it is. Once you do that, or as you do that, then you realize there you are, free to love anyway, which is really what love is. Love isn't about somebody or some situation or yourself being a certain way. It's actually loving life and loving one another with all our... uh, with all our brokenness at times, you know, um, I think W.H. Auden, the poet, writes, to love your crooked neighbor with your own crooked heart. Was his <laughs> That's a great um, way of framing it. And to see that we can trust that once we do that, then we talk about the big picture, then we plant seeds. And it's not your job to change the whole universe and put it on your shoulders. You know, even Superman couldn't do that, or Superwoman. Um, It's your job to plant the seeds where your hands can reach and where your heart is drawn to and begin to trust that somehow if you contribute your part to the world, that takes you beyond despair to the place where you are actively engaged in planting the the garden of humanity and the life that matters to you. Can you trust that if you do that, other people see you, they feel it, those seeds eventually come. Um, Thoreau, our great mystic, said, I have great faith in a seed. Convince me you have a seed there. And no matter how long it takes, I'm prepared to expect miracles. And so you plant your seeds, um, and whether it is, in your community, in the education system, or in your business, making a conscious business, but doing with integrity and kindness, care, um, or whether it is in the circumstances of your family. um, You plant those seeds, and you trust that sooner or later, those seeds will bear fruit. The poet Pablo, Pablo Neruda, the great Chilean poet, he wrote, um, You can pick all the flowers, but you can't stop the spring. Mm. There is some great force of life that breathes us, lives through us. And when we can take a pause and align ourselves with our best intention and feel a trust that we do our part, um, that something magic starts to happen. You become, you know, the Johnny Appleseed of the heart or Jenny Appleseed or whatever it is. Um, planting seeds, even amidst difficulty, and it changes how you live. And, and a lot of this, a lot of this is in this book, No Time Like the Present. There are practices and and ways to kind of help do it. So go ahead, Paul. Please. That's, well, yeah, it brings up the question for me: Does the fact that we're so focused on living with kindness, on on whatever it is we're doing, we now our attention isn't drawn to that outer world? So is that in itself part of our own? healing and growth because we're now focusing on the good that we're doing instead of the antagonism outside of us. Yes, Is is that part of what's making us more whole? Yes, and in that way the question is not the future of humanity but the presence of eternity. Ah. If we think about the future of humanity, we go into our mind and what about the political system? What about the climate? What about the world? Things that we do need to worry about. What about education? What about, you know, agriculture? What about technology and so forth? Those are very genuine and important questions. And 
I reflect on them as we all do. But if we get lost in those, we get overwhelmed and we get afraid because there's a lot of things that are making our nation anxious and the world anxious. There's a lot of divisiveness and there's a lot of uncertainty. But the the poet Hafez uh, from the Middle East, he writes, here is the cheapest room in the house. I'd like to see you in better living conditions. Um, <laughs> And when we're worried, we live in that place of fear. But when we live in a place of the trusting heart um, and taking it a day at a time, as I would say in you know the 12-step program, mm-hmm. um, uh, we, we bake the loaf of love fresh every day. We bake the loaf of attention. We plant the seeds of our garden fresh every day. And that's really what fulfills us. Um, to the extent that we can to, to, to plant these beautiful seeds. Now, sometimes we get to choose, you know, the right job and the right partner in the right place to live and all those kind of glorious, glamorous things that we see in the magazines. But most often, it's not that way. And if we look around the whole world, you know, people don't get to choose, oh, I want to live in this perfect place with a great view and, you know, the best food and you know, the right person and so forth. Um, what we get as a human being in our human incarnation in the, is called the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And this is what human life is. What do we make of it? When Nelson Mandela walked out of 27 years in Robben Island prison with so much magnanimity and graciousness and forgiveness and compassion, wisdom, he not only changed South Africa, but he changed the imagination of the world. Mm-hmm. They can put your body in prison, you can be in a really, really difficult circumstance in your work or whatever it is, um, but no one can imprison your spirit. And, you know, as you talk about Nelson Mandela, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the topic of freedom, because that's a, a great deal of what this book is about, but it's not necessarily the kind of freedom we would draw to mind when we hear that word. Can can you tell us the types of freedom that readers will discover in No Time Like the Present? Yeah, thank you, Paula. There are many kinds. There's a, the important kinds of outer freedom, you know, freedom to speak truthfully, that so the freedom of, of uh, your own voice, the, the freedom in the society to move or live or or be where you are, the freedom that comes from having a, a basically just community, although um, they're all imperfect and ours certainly needs um, some things to be changed. But that's the kind of outer freedom, and those are really hard won. And our ancestors and people uh, who preceded us have, uh, you know, have died often to protect the kinds of freedom that I'm talking about, and those are, they're not only precious, but they're not always available to people in the world. There are lots of places where there's less freedom than we have in many, many ways. But those outer freedoms are not enough if they're not coupled with inner freedoms. You can, you know, you can live in a place that's relatively free and be quite miserable. Um, mm-hmm. You can have a lot of money and be quite miserable. Um, or you can be poor and have an amazingly free spirit. 
and and I've seen it in, over and over, both here in the U.S. and in, when I've lived and traveled in, you know, all kinds of you know, places in the world where they weren't developed like we were, but there were people who were so joyful and free in spirit. So in in this book, there's both attention to outer freedom, particularly at this time, how we can act and protect what we care about outwardly. But equally or more importantly, what's the spirit that we bring to it? So there's the freedom to start over, the freedom to love, the freedom of imperfection, to not try to make the world the way we want it to be, but to bring compassion and tending of the world the way it is, and in that to plant the seeds of what we want, the freedom to dream and act, um, the freedom to deliver what a friend of mine who is a, an African shaman who also has a couple of PhDs, but a kind of remarkable fellow, Maladoma Somme, he said in, for the Dagara people in West Africa where he lives, the, uh, they believe that each person comes into this world with a certain cargo that they have to deliver. Um, Interesting. And I, and I kind of love that image, sort of a West African, you know, on the river or boat or something, that we each are born with a certain, you could call it a gift to give this world. And it might be the gift of your smile and your, your laughter, or it might be the gift of your artistic ability, or it might be the gift of your vision to create something new or build a business or make a beautiful family or plant something. But we each have gifts, and we're not happy if we can't somehow offer those gifts. So the freedom to listen to yourself and see what matters, what are the gifts that I have to give. And even in these difficult circumstances, can I look more deeply and find those a way to bring those gifts alive? The freedom to be happy. And no one can take that from you. And I know there's a, a book that was published recently uh, about the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu, both Nobel Prize, Peace Prize winners, Tutu from South Africa. And the, the theme of the book was joy and happiness. And um, the basic question was, how could you, Archbishop Tutu, who lived through the horrors of apartheid when people were being shot and killed and beaten and um, firebombed and so forth, and you lost so many people, and you, Dalai Lama, how can you live where you're in exile for 50 years and your temples have been closed or burned, your sacred tests destroyed, where your culture is being colonized by the you know, communist Chinese army, um, how can you laugh? And the Dalai Lama, of course, replied, he said, you know, they've taken so much from me. They've taken, you know, our freedom of worship and religion. They've taken the sacred texts. They've taken our monks and nuns often to prison. They've taken so much. He said, why should I let them take my happiness? Oh, yeah. And Tutu would laugh in a certain, in the same way. Um, so there's a freedom of inner spirit that this book invites, and there are beautiful practices to do it. There are practices of love, there are practices of uh, forgiveness, there are practices of, of joy and of presence and of mystery. There are practices of the, 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 the compassion uh, of imperfection, um, the elegance of imperfection. 
um, and trainings and practices of, as you said, is stepping out of time and sensing that where we are has all time. Because where this moment, even as you listen to this podcast or these words, where's the future? It's a thought. Mm-hmm. Where's the past? It's a picture in your mind. It's a memory. It's a thought. What we have is the eternal present, the reality of the present. And when we can relax into the truth of this, then we contend the future as we need to, but we're grounded where we are. And in this place, this is the only place we can love. Because loving in the past is a nice memory, and loving in the future is a fantasy. But where can you actually love? A person, you know, or the tangerine that you're about to bite into with its marvelous orange color and its burst of flavor, you know, or the the tired people walking by you on the street on, after a day's work, you know, where can you find love in a tender heart or what it's like to open the door to your own home in the present, just where we are. That's wonderful. That's, I'm so excited for this book to come out and I think it's, exactly what we need at at this moment in time. Um, So I think it's just going to be an incredible journey for everybody who reads it. And so what is the one thing as as we leave them, and what is the one thing for us all to remember during these difficult times? We've all been through difficult times. Um, You've had a thousand generations of ancestors before you who've gone through stormy seas and climbed mountains and went through, you know, every kind of difficulty. You are a lineage of those who know how to go through difficulty. They have your back, wherever those ancestors are. They're in your genes and in your cells. And you can trust. You know how to do this. And you turn toward that which is difficult. You lean into the wind, you know, and even if the demons come, you say, all right, well, let's sit down and have some tea. Let me see what kind of demons you are. I know you've been coming for a thousand years. Let's have a little uh, little conversation. Let's chat about and then you <laughs> Let's chat about it, exactly. And then you realize that you have in you the capacity to face the difficulties in yourself and the difficulties in life and bring to them like Nelson Mandela or Aung San Suu Kyi when she was in 17 years of house arrest in prison, to bring the spirit of your own heart that is bigger than all of those. It is really a deep trust in the great heart that was born in you and that you are free to love. That is fantastic, Jack. I thank you so much for taking time with us today. This has been just very enlightening and and such a pleasure to talk with you. Well, I'm very happy to speak with you as well, Paula. If you would like to learn more, you can go to livehappynow.com. And while you're online, please let us know what you thought of this episode or let us know about something you would like to hear in a future episode. You can find us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy, or send us that email, podcast at livehappy.com. For everybody here at Live Happy Magazine and Live Happy Now Podcast, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long and thank you for helping us to live happy.